0: For more information, visit www.novic.co. This episode is brought to you by our partners at Windwalk. Windwalk builds digital communities and the technologies necessary to accelerate them through their flagship software, Harbor. Harbor is an end-to-end community software that empowers community and marketing teams to delight users, measure success, and grow across an expanding number of digital channels. Harbor is a foundational technology loved by millions of gamers and integrated into the communities of the largest mobile, PC, and Web3 gaming products on the market. To learn more about this flagship product, simply head to harbor.gg or check out the details in the show notes. And with that, let's dive into the episode. Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Aaron Bush. And today's episode has been a long time in the making. This is the final part in our three-part series on Savvy Games Group, the Saudi-backed gaming giant in the making. Now, if you've been listening to our podcast over the past few weeks, you've probably heard the first two parts, which were with Craig and Nick, the co-CEOs of ESL Faceit Group, And then with Javier, the co CEO of Scopely. Those were both great conversations and naturally so very different. So I recommend checking them out if you haven't yet. But today we talk with the man himself, Brian Ward. Brian is the CEO of Stavvy Games Group and the chief architect of what this emerging gaming centric holding company is turning into. Today we're going to spend a good amount of time unpacking what Savvy's global ambitions are and how its operating philosophy shapes how it makes decisions and what the business is morphing into. Then we'll spend some time discussing the different components of Savvy's business and how Brian thinks about Savvy's future. So in short, we'll hit on several topics that I hope will help our industry better understand Savvy's intentions and what its impact will ultimately be. But without further ado, Brian,
1: welcome to the Novic Gaming Podcast. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks for having me. It's a real pleasure to be here. I hope it hasn't been too long in the making, but I've been looking forward to this. So it's a pleasure to join you.
0: Awesome. And, and it's good that we took our time because you've had an exciting year this year. Savvy's been making moves, and we'll get to get to that in a second. But I thought a good place to start, Brian, would be to just talk about you for a moment. Could you just share your path to becoming the leader of this business and
1: walk us through your games industry journey. Happy to Aaron. Thanks a lot. So I started my training as a, as a lawyer. I was, I practiced law for a long time, uh, but I'm okay. Now I was in uh, Canada where I'm from. This was early days of the internet in the mid nineties. I really wanted to do something at the intersection of technology and uh, entertainment. And uh, that was games ended up getting a job at electronic arts in Vancouver, at that studio that became a behemoth, it was only 100, became 800 in the four years that I was there and almost half of EA's revenue, all the EA sports stuff. And so I had kind of a dual role in business affairs and on the studio leadership team. Really loved, fell in love with the product side. Went to Microsoft for a couple of years after the launch of the first Xbox to, to a strictly product-related role in studios <clears throat> under Shane Kim. Got recruited by Activision in 2004. Went there when it was about a billion dollars in revenue and six studios. And a year and a half later, they asked me to run worldwide studios. We had acquired another five by that time, I guess, and uh, another six in another year and a half. So got up to 17 studios and quadrupled revenue in four years. Had a great run there until 2012. That was also during the time my company acquired Vendy Games and the Blizzard unit. And then I went out on my own for a while, making real money games, mobile games for the uh, real money side of our business, or cousins, I guess, to our business. And after eight or nine years just prior to COVID, I thought, you know what, I really missed the traditional games business. And uh, was looking at, very fortunate at EA to have been part of what was then the largest development studio in the world, lucky at EA to, or lucky at Activision to have been part of building number one play publisher, wanted another similar sized crack, if you like, at uh, something great in the industry. And when this opportunity came up, I thought, well, this sounds, it has a lot of components to it that are, that are fitting what I'm looking for. So I've been here a couple of years now.
0: Wow. Yeah. What an amazing opportunity too. And when I look at your past uh, couple of jobs, I can see from a high level, at least some of the relevant experiences you, you have gained over the years. You've managed large budgets. You've ever seen studios with offices around the world. You've Conducted multiple studio acquisitions, you've lobbied and worked with governments, et cetera. Could you share a couple of tactical lessons you've learned over the years that
1: best prepared you for this unique job with Savvy? Yeah, I can. I think a couple of things come to mind. One is I started, because I started my career as a lawyer, I'm familiar with a lot of things related to government. In fact, in my legal career, I think the very first job I had out of law school was, was working for a government agency in Canada. And so, how that's been helpful in Savvy is, as as you and your listeners will know, Savvy's owned 100% by the PIF here in Saudi Arabia, the sovereign wealth fund, which you know, of course, manages uh, public funds for for the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. So, having a government experience both early in my career and also when I was doing the lottery stuff from 2012 2019, where we were essentially partnered with various governments across America and even around the world, it was very helpful in coming here and understanding how things can be different when you have a government or government-oriented stakeholder. And secondly, <clears throat> I would say the probably the best piece of advice I got in my career was very early at, on at EA, where essentially the advice was, don't spend too much time thinking about how you're going to set things up, the, the the organizational design, all the governance, the policies, how big the team's going to be, and sort of all the foundational stuff, get your line in the water and catch some fish. And so when I came here I, and I I told our vice chairman, that's exactly what I was going to do. We were going to try and put some points on the board and get Savvy up and running as quickly as possible. I'm glad in, in hindsight that we focused on that because we were able to, with that, with that sort of idea, we were able to capture ESL face it early on. We were able to you know close a number of deals in our first year, as opposed to focusing more on housekeeping items and building infrastructure and so forth that would have caused us, I think, to miss some great opportunities. Gotcha. Well, thank you for, for sharing that. And
0: we'll, we'll spend much of the interview later talking about the, the individual opportunities that you have seen and captured so far, such as with uh, ESL Face and with Scopely. But before going further, let's make sure to cover our bases. And to start, Brian, could you just share what is Savvy Games Group's mission? And at a high level, what really are the main components of the business today?
1: Yes, Savvy's mandate is to build a global and global leading games and esports company, both through building its own capabilities and investing in other great teams across a wide spectrum of gaming verticals and esports businesses. And and secondarily, to, to lead the effort in the kingdom to build Saudi Arabia into the next great global games and esports hub worldwide.
0: Gotcha. And in my interview with Javier a couple of weeks ago, he said that Savvy aims to be the largest games company in the world. And maybe that's not like what you officially, you know, put on your website, but, you know, it just highlights the, the large ambitions that, that you really have behind the scenes and how you think about your future. But I just wanted to ask, like, why, why is that, you know, the right goal that you are thinking internally? And what are the broad strokes of how you even think that large of an ambition can be pulled off?
1: Well, I, I think uh, a couple things. So that is the right vision. It's not my vision. It's the vision of, you know, His Royal Highness, the Crown Prince, the board, the PIF, our stakeholder, and all under the rubric and of Vision 2030, which of course is the national strategy and roadmap for the transformation of Saudi Arabia, which is an amazing uh, thing that really all your listeners should learn about and even see firsthand if they can. And so it's a very large ambition to be number one glo- global games and esports company. It's almost a, a ridiculously audacious objective, but everything here is, is uh, supersized in terms of ambition and effort towards transforming uh, the kingdom uh, in very positive ways. You know, and, and this can be done. There are other countries that punch far above their weight in, in our sector. Canada is a global games hub of some renown you wouldn't think it from the size of the population frankly but uh, some very smart policy making 30 years ago led to you know the creation of over i don't know 34,000 jobs or something or other and 300 400 some companies so the kingdom's ambition to have 250 games companies and 39,000 video games and esports jobs with a population about the same as Canada's frankly is an achievable challenging objective mm-hmm. and what are the the broad
0: strokes of how that can be pulled off you think. Obviously um, Savvy has made outsized acquisitions, it's made investments, it's it's seeding at least one studio um, that I know of. Um, so I know you have, you know, your your hands in in different opportunities, but can you maybe just frame up like how you think how that large of an aspiration can can really be achieved when you kind of yeah. put the strategy into to operations?
1: Sure. And I think I I didn't answer part of a previous question, so I'll I'll do uh, both at the same time. So we started as a a holding company uh, at the parent company level with um, five operating companies underneath one um, uh, developing and opening gaming venues here in the kingdom. A second uh, one with a a mobile game studio with console ambitions down the line. Uh, A third company called 966 focused on the ecosystem building uh, efforts here in Saudi Arabia, along with other stakeholders, and eSports Ambition, which we've fulfilled with ESL Faceit, and then a separate company where the capital was meant to sit to fuel all these activities. We've since simplified things uh, a little bit and, and focused more on having business units rather than separate companies doing these things around three strategic pillars. So the first of those is eSports, which is obviously our ESL Facet group, which was ESL, Face it, combined in the out, uh, in the beginning, and then more laterally a few months ago of index, and then secondly the KSA ecosystem building exercise, which I'm sure we'll talk about in, in some depth in a couple of minutes, uh, building Saudi into a global games hub, games and esports hub, and then thirdly game development and publishing, for which you know we've made a very exciting investment into acquiring Scopely, and you know and that's that's our that's our pillar in that under that pillar at the, at the moment. So I'm not sure. Actually, I think I answered your previous question and not the question you just asked me. But
0: yeah, so that was good. You brought it all all back together. You also mentioned before that Savvy is, of course, fully owned and funded by Saudi Arabia's public investment fund. I, I was just curious to know, like, what does that relationship operationally look like? Like, how does Savvy actually engage with or plan with Saudi Arabia's leadership, including the chairman and Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman?
1: Yeah. So. So, you know, this ambition is being fulfilled by a very super strong commitment from uh, from the PIF. I think we were I was told at the time that we savvy received the largest initial injection of capital of any portfolio company project in the PIF's 51-year history. Wow. But more than capital, it's a commitment right from the top of the house from His Royal Highness who's our chair. The PIF is uh, a full partner in our all of our activities, really has been from the very outset. I was the very first employee and for a long time, I was the only employee working with the, the, the MENA division of the PIF. They're split into international and MENA. And the MENA working group really provide just tremendous investment and operational support. Still do we operate as one team, so they're very operationally involved and oriented, uh, and then super supportive in in helping us frame up our strategy and other long term elements of our of our vision. So we have a seven member board chaired by His Royal Highness. Our vice chair is His Royal Highness Prince Faisal, who's also chair of the local, regional, and I think he's now. Co-chair or vice chair of both global esports federations, also responsible for the national strategy on games and esports. We have other board members, of course, comprising the other five, and then we have an executive committee that comprises six people, probably half from the PIF and and some others. We're we're a fully commercial, a fully uh, a fully independent commercial uh, entity, just like any other company, just except we have one shareholder, and and that shareholder really provides a lot of operational and strategic support. Okay,
0: that's helpful to understand. And we'll we'll get to more of the subcomponents of savvy in a minute, but before we do that, I want to unpack a bit more your your operating philosophy and and your strategy of just like how you view running a holding company like this. And and maybe to to start here, in terms of performance, there are obviously many good holding companies out there, but there are also many more bad ones. And I'm curious, you know, what other organizations that are holding companies are you inspired by? And like who have you learned from and or studied from as you you build out Savvy? Like who are who are sort of um like guideposts for you as you as you think about building out this business?
1: Yeah, great question, Aaron. So I think there are a few aspects to our operating philosophy. One is, uh, and you will, you will appreciate and probably harbor the same sentiment that um, you know we believe, like most people who've been in the industry a long time, that games really are a force for good. There's a lot of benefit, not just entertainment, obviously, but health benefits, educational benefits, and so forth that come from, come from games. And, and in terms of operating philosophy, uh, when I joined Activision in 2004, the very distributed decentralized econ- autonomous and independent in nature of that company particularly on the studio side was not really the norm it was kind of more common to see a top down orientation towards managing business units like ea at the time since then however just about everybody has adopted a more independent autonomous model and and really that's now sort of part of my sort of core dna on the philosophy operating philosophy side so we intend to you know be not just a not a passive investor an active investor but aimed at at empowering great teams to achieve their best potential and so if we can provide strategic long term capital to great team by by way of minority investment or by way of you know control or controlling positions and provide them with a long-term uh, runway to achieve an outsized ambition that, that might not be available to them without our long-term orientation, then we think we're uh, providing something unique to them that uh, is also differentiated from you know other um, companies like ours in the industry. Gotcha.
0: But are there any like organizations that you're inspired by that are other holding companies
1: or such? Oh yeah, yeah I mean, Tencent does an amazing job and has done an amazing job. I mean, it's a behemoth. It's a behemoth that's only, what, 15 years old in games? I might be I might be slightly off on that, but a, a tremendous record of investing in great companies and empowering great teams, slightly different orientation than ours, and they're not probably as operationally broad as we are across the different verticals that I described earlier, But but fantastic. I learned... I've been so fortunate to have spent time at Activision and to Microsoft and Electronic Arts essentially my entire career in this industry has been working with other great people who have been tremendously successful so I've taken inspiration from all of those from all of those teams that I've had the good fortune to work with and I think they've all done like uh, obviously they've done amazing things because they're all leaders okay great and
0: it's it's obviously been reported that Savvy is planning to invest 38 billion dollars through 2030 Could you walk me through your capital allocation framework? First of all, how would you describe that framework? And second, what are the zones that you are generally focused on within that?
1: Yeah, when we started, the mandate of the fund where all the capital sat had a couple of different components to it. One, it was intended to make direct investments, both of a minority nature and majority or controlling position nature. Secondly, also intending, and we did, make some indirect investments as a limited partner in venture capital or private equity firms. And then thirdly, the orientation was also, or the, the expectation was that the investments that the PIF had made independently out of its international group, so the different group than the group that gave birth to savvy in companies like Nintendo and Capcom and Nexon and Activision, EA take two, et cetera. I think there's eight of those altogether that the PIF invested in independent of savvy purely for financial returns purposes that, that those investments would, would fold into savvy and we would manage those positions and operationalize those relationships at some future point. I think that's still the expectation, but you know, we have, that hasn't occurred yet. And so um, and so now we're, Oriented around, we're oriented around those three pillars that I described earlier: esports, KSA ecosystem building, and games development and publishing. And frankly, I think you know, uh, with the with the acquisition of ESL, Faceit, and more laterally Vindex, I think we probably deployed as much capital, you know. Um, for the time being, as we're going to, I'm not saying we're never going to invest in esports again. I think that uh, I wouldn't say that, but we are now focused on esports in, in first of all, managing those integrations and making sure we've got operational excellence in those three groups. It's no small feat to combine just DSL and face it. never mind adding Vindex to it just right. a few months later. And, and so there's work to do there, there's work to do, which was the initial ambition in improving the product portfolio across live entertainments, across broadcasting and, and event production, across, across the online portion of the business uh, as well. And, and, so I, and, and KSA ecosystem building isn't really an investment exercise, it's an investment in building capabilities in conjunction with other stakeholders, but it requires more time and capital. And so I would expect that most of our future capital deployment would be in the game development and publishing pillar.
0: Okay. That makes sense. And many companies, including many big companies, invest in gaming. But would you say there's anything uniquely savvy about the way that you invest or acquire? And maybe you can talk a bit more about how these investment and M&A decisions
1: get made too. Sure. Sure. So I think what our unique selling proposition, if you like, when we're in a competitive situation for an acquisition or making an investment, is the long-term orientation of our business, thanks to the very long-dated patient capital of the PIF. So, and this was the idea at the time of ESL it as an example, we you know we could see coming out of covid that there was tremendous engagement across everything that related to you know entertaining yourselves indoors under quarantine and and we also thought that there would be given the fragmented nature of the esports ecosystem we thought there would be a lot of consolidation and we thought okay well just about everybody else in the space has a 3 to 5 year time horizon there They're a a listed company or they're a VC or private equity firm with expectations on returning capital to shareholders at some point. We don't have a three to five year time horizon. We've got a seven, 10 or even 10 plus year time horizon. And we thought we could make strategic decisions based on a longer time horizon that would be attractive to teams like the ones at ESL It and and, and at Scopely, for instance, who were looking for long term strategic partners. Without an orientation towards more short-term, I'm not saying short-term thinking is bad. I'm just saying it's a different orientation we have, given our stakeholders, given our, our given who our stakeholder is. And so I think this is the really unique thing uh, that enables us to pitch something slightly different than than other potential investors.
0: Okay. And I, I will say that that has shined through in this interview series. Even I remember a couple of weeks ago talking with Javier and the long-term orientation of Savvy, he mentioned, was... An important piece of, of why Scopley chose to, to work with Savvy. And you know, between that, the high level of ambition to, to be the largest games company in the world is probably, you know, also helping you be able to retain some of these awesome leaders and keep them excited for the future, which you also don't see it through all acquisitions and holding companies too. So I can see how you know that that cocktail of factors, you know, leads to unique and interesting outcomes. I also wanted to to ask you know many large organizations or funds who are flush with cash or hungry for deal making like Softbanks vision fund, etc, often have made big moves which can warp an industry or in market, but in hindsight, you know having too much capital was often detrimental to returns. I'm curious how you think about that dynamic and savvy, and what you and the team are doing to ensure that that type of outcome is not the case in your
1: situation. Yeah, well, hopefully it won't be the case. We'll do our best to make sure that isn't the case. I think it comes back to the fact that we've got a single shareholder. That single shareholder is a sovereign wealth fund. That sovereign wealth fund is a managing essentially public money, and this is money that belongs to the people of the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. And there are a lot of checks and balances in place with our shareholder to ensure that we are thoughtful in our strategy. We're thoughtful and and very diligent in, in pursuing opportunities. We're not in a rush to deploy the rest of the capital. Um, You know, we've got a lot of capital left to deploy, but with a very long time horizon and and very patient capital, the PIF is, is very helpful in ensuring that we, are measured in how we're thinking about deploying it and and that we you know to the, to the greatest extent possible make the make the best decisions.
0: Okay. And Brian somewhat selfishly I'm also uh, curious how leaders like you manage organizations that operate across different regions with different customs, different focuses, time zones, different company cultures, etc. How do you create unity across an organization with so many differences? Or would you say the magic is in how the operations are centralized? Uh, What's the case with Savvy?
1: I I think the, the model in our industry, which has more predominantly become a very independent and autonomous model, is the right one. I think creative teams, generally speaking, are are very team-oriented towards their you know, their local group, their studio, or what, or, or what have you. And I think to the greatest extent possible, it's our job to get out of the way, to, to invest in the strategy that is the sound strategy for which you invested in or acquired that unit in the first place, and to empower the people who are executing on that strategy. And hopefully, you've been successful in your investment and your m and activity to attract all of the great people. Uh, Now, there are some examples in our industry where the teams did not come uh, over or they came over and didn't stay. And generally speaking, those don't work out very well. And uh, so our job is to make sure that um, we are very clear about our intention in investing in the strategy and continuing the path of success that the company or the business unit or studio is on. Providing that continuity and following through with uh, what we said, and helping them formulate a roadmap that uh, that builds upon and amplifies the you know their ambition over a long period of time. Gotcha. Uh,
0: I just have a couple more questions before we dive more into the the details of the individual units. First, could you help us envision what you want the final product of Savvy to look like after most of the capital is? been deployed you, you've hit on this a little bit but i just kind of wanted to ask it directly like let's say the year is 2033 10 years from now how do you think savvy
1: looks and works differently compared to today okay do you know how old i'm going to be in 2033 by the way i'm not going to tell you but um i i like, <laughs> <laughs> well that's probably good so um, I will tell you that, okay, let's say it's 2033. So three years after, you know, Vision 2030 comes to fruition in most of its respects across all of the elements of that strategy. So what would Savvy look like in 2033? Well, uh, we will be a global games uh, leader in investing in great uh, teams and enabling great teams to continue, you know, aiming towards an outsized ambition that might not have been possible without our long dated and patient capital and support. We will have largely stayed out of the way of those entities and it allowed them continue to build their uh, business and build their teams, you know, build upon the culture that they've successfully instilled in their people. We don't want to mess with any of that. We want to provide continuity to the greatest extent possible. We will have built Riyadh, helped build Neom and maybe even Jeddah into you know a great powerhouse of games and esports activity. And and have created thousands and thousands of jobs. Hopefully, thirty nine thousand, because that's actually the magic number. And and we will continue to build upon on the esports side. I think provide move beyond this sort of fragmented um, ecosystem into one where hopefully we're a dominant player. And through long term investing in building the pro building the product quality and the operational excellence of the teams executing on the, on the product vision, as well as broadening the um, appeal of eSports outside of its niche, fairly niche, you know, eSports enthusiast, gamer enthusiast audience that it is today. And if we can improve that audience breadth and its, and its appeal, we think we can monetize that sector better. As you know, engagement in eSports is off the charts, monetization is kind of off the charts in the opposite direction. And we think we can help improve that. And uh, and then, well, let me stop there. I think that's a that would be a pretty satisfying end state.
0: Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And I have a bunch of follow-ups to, to several of the pieces that you said in there that I'll get to in just a moment. But really the final question of this section that I wanted to ask is most of the games industry, both the insiders, executives, and also players are not used to Saudi based business being a key mover and shaker in the games industries. So, yeah, I just wanted to ask what do you feel is misunderstood or any misconceptions about running a Saudi based business that the rest of the world would be better off knowing?
1: Well, I think that that's a great question. And two years ago, my answer would have been a little different than it is today, I think. But I think a lot of those. What I would say misconceptions uh, about Saudi Arabia have largely evaporated in the two years that I've been here. And I don't get very many questions about Saudi anymore, to be honest, or what is it like there? Or kind of this like video games, Saudi Arabia, how's that going to work? People are sort of beyond that because a lot of people have visited here. A lot of people have read about the... Ambition of the kingdom in uh, games and esports. A lot of people read about the announcement and and the early stages of the national strategy on games and esports. So get more sort of operational questions around. Okay, what is it like to do business there? How do we come there and publish there? How do we come and set up a studio there? And, and a lot less around. And I, I would say this two years ago was probably you know, the transformation of the kingdom in all respects, not just in games and esports, but you know the society itself and all of the investment and. Expansion in industrial sectors under Vision 2030 as it's the pace of this, Aaron, is astonishing from a Westerner's perspective. I mean, this is the most astonishing transformation of a country on the planet in 35 years, in my estimation. And I think people are starting to get the idea that there's a lot going on here, and it's happening at a rapid pace. And uh, people just needed a little bit of time to sort of catch up. Okay, that sounds exciting,
0: and I I would love to visit and, and see it for my myself too. But thanks for answering that. But okay, we we kind of talked high level about uh, a bunch of savvy oriented points. Let's go ahead and really spend the rest of this conversation kind of digging into a bit more of the specifics of the businesses that you own and how you view their futures. And I actually wanted to, to, to start here more talking about the MENA region. This is something that we've kind of been dancing around. You said, you know, you want several cities to kind of turn more into games hubs, create 39,000 jobs, and really just make Saudi Arabia more of a of a major hub in the world for esports and gaming at large. And 966, one of your, your businesses, is you know a, a big part of making that happen from from what I can tell from the outside. But I just wanted to give you the floor to kind of talk a bit more about like what exactly Savvy is doing to move the needle in in that direction and how any of your specific subsidiaries in particular are kind of taking outsized roles and, and making that happen? What does that look like?
1: So with regard to MENA region, this is really the remit of 966. 966 exists in order to Help you know realize the full potential of this market, which has more you know there are more active gamers in MENA than there are in Western Europe or America. People don't know that. It's also I think the second largest growing region globally in our industry after LATAM, and and highly monetizable. I mean, people spend a lot of money and a very young, educated, tech savvy demographic that's very, very, very knowledgeable about games. I mean, they are in love with games. They know a lot about games, and you know what is it? 70% of of the people in Saudi Arabia are under the age of 35, 68% identify as gamers. You know, Aaron, as you know, a lot of people who play games on mobile phones don't necessarily self-identify as a gamer. Right. Uh, But for 68% of the population to self-identify as a gamer is an extraordinarily high percentage. So 966's job is to essentially do three things. One, work with government ministries and other stakeholders to develop the sorts of incentives and programs that would attract foreign investment. So companies that might want to come here, set up a studio or some other uh, facility, maybe it's QA, maybe it's localization, maybe it's some other outsourcing, uh, bring leadership and then hire local people. Uh, Because no matter how much capital we have to deploy, savvy can't build the KSA ecosystem all by itself. We need other people to come into the kingdom to help us do that. Other great companies from around the industry. And and so this, you wouldn't normally, as a commercial entity, invite your competitors to come into your home market. But this, in fact, is our mandate to do this. The second thing 966 does is work with stakeholders, again, sometimes government-oriented stakeholders, but sometimes not, to develop essentially incubation and acceleration and then follow-on support programs for local entrepreneurs. Who might want to start a studio or some other gaming entity and there's a lot of enthusiasm for entrepreneurship generally speaking in the kingdom across all sectors under vision 2030 It's a much more entrepreneurial place than it was say 10 years ago at least this is what i'm told and there you know there's high enthusiasm for our sector so there's a lot of people who want to you know try and develop something in it and that's our job to try and support those people and then thirdly training and development you can't take people out of university and make them an executive producer overnight. You need to train them up and develop them and you need to have vocational programs. You need to have academic programs. You need to have a lot of support from both educational institutions and other commercial partners who are, who are well-versed in in developing talent in other jurisdictions to come here and help t- train up a very sort of ready-made market of people who just don't have the experience, but they have everything else. Cool.
0: That's a really interesting answer. I also, somewhat tangentially, was just going to ask, why do you think the government cares so much about gaming specifically? And I just ask because it's unique compared to the rest of, of the world. You know, If you look at you know other very developed regions, whether it's the US, Europe, the government's not really thinking about gaming. If you look at somewhere like China, if anything, the government's been more hostile to gaming. Obviously, it's a it's a growth market. It's, you know, an important br- growing branch of entertainment. But why care so much about gaming?
1: Well, I think it boils down to Vision 2030. So Vision 2030 is the strategy and blueprint for transforming the country and diversifying the economy away from oil and gas, which just by itself seems like a pretty good idea, to be honest, and, and providing more opportunities for women and, and, and in, in investing in 13 industrial sectors. One of those 13 is entertainment. What's the biggest part of entertainment? Games. By a country mile. We're bigger than film and TV and music all put together now. So that's part of it. Also, leadership, like the rest of this country, is very young here. And there are avid gamers amongst, you know, the most senior people in the country. And so I think there's a natural affinity for our, our, our sector. And a great deal of knowledge about our sector, not just about the products, but about how our business works, about the opportunity that it provides to young people and the places where there are global hubs, and about the values and culture of our industry, which you know are part of the transformation of the kingdom. So I think those are the two components of the answer.
0: Okay, that's really interesting, especially the, the affinity point
1: from uh, a group of younger leaders. I do think that is pretty well,
0: unique.
1: I mean, Aaron, this is the only country on the planet that has a national strategy for games and esports.
0: Yeah, it's very, very unique. It's my many questions about about it. It's very, very interesting to unpack. I wanted to, to kind of switch gears to talk a bit about Scopely, which of course is you know the biggest piece of news from, from this past year and, and savvy, but also I think is the largest part of, of your business now, although you can correct me if that's not the case. But I just wanted to ask at a high level, why acquire Scopely, especially at a time when mobile at large has faced major structural setbacks. Like in your mind like what was so special about them to make that large of a move when much of the the market had gone pretty pretty silent from an M&A front.
1: Well, first of all, if you're going to be a global leader or the global leader in games and esports, you can't ignore mobile or companies that are mobile first. And I wouldn't call I wouldn't call Scopely a mobile company. They're really a free-to-play live services company that's mobile first, but with cross-platform capabilities and ambitions, and a fairly significant web and PC presence already with you know, console coming next year. So they're a live services company that's mobile first, not a mobile not a mobile company. But they were the last company of that type that was independent and scaled. And then two other things. They've got a large number of franchises. They're not dependent on one thing. I mean, Monopoly Go has been a runaway success in the last six months. But they've got twelve franchises that have done over hundred million dollars in lifetime revenue. They've got six that have done over a half billion in lifetime revenue. So they're not they're not a one trick pony, and they've got the Playgammy platform, which is the platform for monetization and player retention and engagement. So those were the real those are the real reasons.
0: Okay, and if you're listening to to this episode, I do recommend checking out that interview with Javier. He did a great job. Just just scroll back in your feed about two three weeks, and it'll be there. But I highly recommend. Checking it out. Brian Javier also mentioned how post-acquisition, not much has changed in the way of how Scopely operates, which gets to the point you're making earlier about providing some autonomy to enable creativity. But he also did point out that Savvy's, you know, capital does enable the business to potentially expand into to new opportunities that it might not have been able to do on its own, at least as easily otherwise. How important was was that part of it, Scopely becoming more than something than what it is today or was at the time, to to the acquisition that Savvy
1: made? Well, I think if I'm, you know, to be really frank about it, they didn't need our capital to get from their run rate, which was maybe, you know, one and a half billion dollar top line run rate at the time of uh, the deal signing. They didn't need our help to double that and get to three billion under any circumstances. What they what they probably needed was long-term strategic capital to get to nine or ten billion. Mm. And I remember a slide in the management presentation that talked about their long-term ambition. That was very inspiring and very exciting. And so we thought if we can be if we can help provide what they need in that respect to get to an exponentially larger outcome 10 years from now, then that's 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 exactly right up our alley. And that's something we should be doing. And and if we can and very young um, super, super capable leadership team and great people across the country, uh, across the company rather. And if we can attract all of those people and provide a longer term runway for their, you know, for, to, for them to fulfill their ambitions in building a legacy business, the same sort of ambition the leadership team had at ESL face it, to be honest, long, you know, wanting to stay for the long term and build something really meaningful as a legacy, then this was uh, you know, something that was really attractive to us. You're right that Scopely is the biggest part of our company. I think we're 30, overall in Savvy, I think we're 3,500 people roughly around the world in 22 countries. Scopely would be about 2,300 of those people. Okay.
0: And I'm curious what your day-to-day looks like when it comes to working with the leaders of these organizations. Like when you talk to them, like what type of support do you offer? What do they come to you for? Could you just kind of unpack what that relationship between these units and the holding company, specifically you, looks like?
1: Yeah. I I think our main job is to provide continuity. Provide continuity and don't screw it up, basically. And then participate in helping develop a long-term strategic roadmap that, you know, is consistent with their current strategy and the success that they've had over numerous years. My job is to figure out how to solve my entire job is solving problems. So how to solve problems that they might have that maybe they're capital related. We haven't, we haven't encountered any of those, but they could be, or maybe they're related to, uh, you know, long-term strategic planning. Maybe they're related to our ownership and the expectations of our stakeholder. There's a lot of interpretation we do here at Savvy between the stakeholder and the business units, you know, because, you know, it's different. It's different having a sovereign wealth fund as your, as your sole shareholder. Everybody works extremely well together. We've had a tremendously successful trip out to California with our with our with senior people from our uh, shareholder, so that's kind of my job is I feel like I'm kind of an interpreter and helping you know make sure that everybody sort of remains on the same page, that we provide continuity and that we are consistent in helping them advance their long term strategic direction. Okay,
0: sounds good. You know, we we talked about Scopely for a minute. You mentioned ESL face it, and I also had a great conversation uh, with Craig and Nick there. And one of the notable takeaways for me from that conversation was how the subsidiary's aspirations, similarly to to Scopely, expanded as a result of merging together and becoming a more multifaceted esports ecosystem facilitated by by Savvy. But considering the sustainability-driven reset that esports is going through, like we've seen phase Clan sell so for much less than it was. We're seeing the Overwatch League shut down, and you know the, the list is a pretty long one of how how esports is currently being reset. You know, on one hand, that conversation with ESL face it. It made me realize, like, wow, th- this ecosystem is actually coming together in a pretty unique and interesting way that hasn't really been seen before in esports, and maybe is a, a noteworthy zag while the industry is going in in this direction um but i wanted to to get your view of why why focus so heavily on esports at a time when esports is going through such a big reset like is there anything notable about the timing there or was it just purely about the kind of the business opportunity and uh, i'll i'll stop there but i might have a follow up
1: <laughs> okay so I mean, esports was a very important part of the founding strategy that came out of the PIF and the the founding board and then the board of directors itself. So that was one thing that was clear. And I think if you fast forward two years to the recently announced esports World Cup, Having already hosted, you know, two successful years of Gamers Eight, you know, uh, by far the biggest uh, esports events in in history, uh, you can sort of see the uh, foundation for why Savvy might have been encouraged to focus on esports. You know, starting a, a a couple of years ago, and of course, as you know, as everybody uh, will appreciate, esports has been somewhat separate from games development and games publishing, and publishers for the for the longest time viewed it as kind of like a nice marketing thing and not much else. And weren't really on side with a lot of the esports operators. A lot of the esports operators had some difficulty scaling because nobody's been able to make you know consistent profits in the space. And that's not just esports operators, but uh, across the esports ecosystem. And it's also the economic interests uh, in esports are very fragmented uh, between uh, or amongst publishers and and uh, operators and teams and and media rights holders and and so forth. So we thought, well. COVID kind of accelerated adoption or engagement, we thought there would be a lot of consolidation. We thought we could probably participate or lead some of that consolidation. And if we did, we might get to a place where we could provide a different level of services and operational support for the IP holders and, and maybe even participate in figuring out better economics for everyone in the ecosystem, from players and teams to to publishers to operators. Great. Well, let's go ahead and keep the conversation
0: moving. I could could talk to you all day about any one of these components, but I also wanted to to ask about Steer Studios. So from my view, you're not just acquiring existing games companies, but also seeding at least this one from ground zero. So I just wanted to ask, why take this approach? And can you tell us
1: uh, uh, just what can we know about Steer Studios so far? Steer so far is, I think, around 80 people now. From a standing start of zero 18 months ago, I would say there's 17 different nationalities probably employed amongst those 80 people, almost 30% female participation, which is pretty high for, for a game development studio. I think our, our Saudiization target or our Saudiization metric in there is sub, somewhere around 55% or something like that, which will increase over time. We'll probably have 80% Saudis in that studio. Again, the foundation, you know, or forming a studio from scratch was an important component of the strategy that came out of the founding board and the, and, the, and the board itself of Savvy. As you will know, there are very, very few scaled games companies that build studios from scratch. You know, studios get built by teams who spin out from somewhere else and, and then they get acquired. And and Ubisoft is probably the only scaled operator that's built a number of studios from scratch. Fortunately, we've got some veterans from Ubisoft leading this effort and and are doing a great job in in instilling a great games-oriented culture. They've won several awards for Best Place to Work in the last, I think, six awards for Best Place to Work in the last year and a half and are, you know, helping you know, train up people in so far, you know, casual mobile games, but with, you know, some console aspirations down the line. So I don't know that we'll build another studio from scratch here under savvy, but, but I think it was a sound idea to, to, you know, take the learnings that we're, that we're realizing from steer and be able to transmit and educate others who are coming into the kingdom about what it's been like to build a studio or an entity here because we want other people to come here and try the same thing.
0: Gotcha. Well, it's really interesting to see, and I look forward to following how it goes. I was also asking, just because other holding companies in, in the games industry, it seems like an emerging strategy to start creating new studios elsewhere, kind of in replacement of M&A in and, and certain certain ways. But obviously, in your case, you still have a lot of capital to to deploy, and you have you know different goals and aspirations around how you build in, in the region. So I'm just curious to see how that will, will play out over time. Um, but one final question about these parts of your business, which is, is really like, is there any other active subsidiaries or projects or strategies that we we didn't talk about yet today that you want to, to highlight and make sure that the audience understands?
1: No, I think we've hit on the main ones. I mean, we've got these three strategic pillars and we're executing with 966 under the KSA-1, EF. EFG a self it group under the esports strategy and Scopely is our anchor in so far in, in game development and publishing and uh, you know we'll hopefully realize some other great opportunities I, I would expect mostly in game development and publishing we'll be taking taking into account and following to a certain extent Scopely's strategic lead in the, in this area because they're an in that sort of business model as it applies to our business and and um, I can't think of anything else that uh, might be of interest to your listeners that we haven't touched on.
0: Okay, sounds good. We we've also hit on this question in a couple ways, but you know, just say again, it's twenty thirty three, and so you're still looking young. You're still still excited uh, about Savvy's future. But you know, at that time, if we were to do a podcast episode then, and we're looking back over the past ten years of what. Savvy's impact on the games industry has been. Not not just what Savvy has kind of achieved for itself, but like what its impact has been. What would make you happy, you know, then to to say, like, we did this, we stood for this, we accomplished, you know, XYZ. What impacts would you be happy to have achieved?
1: Great question. If I still if I look young in 2033, that'll be a miracle of modern medical technology. (laughs) But um, I would say a couple of things. One, um, we will be able to say that we created a really robust games and esports industry in Saudi Arabia, with thousands of Saudis having well-paying jobs in a sector that they're already naturally very excited and knowledgeable about. That would be that would be huge. I would say, hopefully, we will have figured out a way, not by ourselves, but in conjunction with other people, how to improve the economics for all the participants in the esports space. So that we're all happier with, with the prospects there to the benefit of everyone from viewers to players, teams, publishers, et cetera. And I think on the, on the games development and the publishing side, if we're able to say that we made some great investments in excellent teams who were able to real, uh, realize uh, a longer term ambition that might not have ab- been available to them without our uh, capital and participation, then th- that, would be, uh, that would be the trifecta. Awesome.
0: Well, I hope all of that comes true. It's certainly going to be exciting to watch. As we wrap up here, I wanted to ask you one uh, non-savvy related question, which is just what else in the games industry are you excited about? It could be a trend, other companies, games. What what has piqued your interest and made you excited about
1: our industry's future? I I think... You know, when I started in this business, I don't know what the sector was worth then, but we thought, man, wouldn't it be awesome if someday we were bigger than the music guys? Wouldn't that be (laughs) like amazing? And now we're bigger than them and film and somebody else put together. And when I look forward to, you know, I've been asked this question a few times around the impact of AI, uh, as an example, and other tools that are, you know, some of which we are on the horizon some of which we don't even know about yet that really is really super exciting because i think that provides so much opportunity for expanding for expanding the medium and expanding the number of available jobs and the skill sets that provides a lot of not just enjoyment entertainment to people but a lot of like the number of people who are employed in our industry worldwide and the number of families who Depend on our industry for their livelihood is really exciting compared to where we were, say, 20 years ago. Amazing.
0: Well, let's go ahead and, and wrap up here. Final, final question: If anyone wishes to to reach out to you or Savvy, either they want to work with you or get to get to know what you're about in more detail. Hopefully, today helped. But if they want to know um, even more, get in touch. Where should they go?
1: That's a great question. I should have the answer right at hand. And uh, team, take note. No, I am sure there is something on the website in relation to how people can get a hold of us. And if not, I can assure you that within a day or two, that will be there. Um, And uh, it is not hard to find the people uh, who are leading our HR function, the people who are leading our communications function and so forth. And, And so any of those channels would be terrific.
0: Okay, great. And I, I will confirm that it is easy to get in touch from the website. That's how I got in touch <laughs> with you. So, so that should work out pretty well, I hope. Also, well, Brian, I, I really sincerely could chat with you all day, but we got to wrap. Thank you again for hopping on today and, and sharing how Savvy works, how you think, and best of luck and your quest to build out Savvy's future. If you enjoyed today's episode, whether on YouTube or your favorite podcast app, make sure to like, subscribe, comment, or give a five-star review.